RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock, I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. RTHK suspends the satire programme Headliner after it's found to have denigrated the police. A ban on gatherings of more than eight people is extended for another two weeks and Hong Kong's jobless rate reaches its highest in a decade. RTHK says it will suspend production of its satirical programme Headliner after this season. The Communications Authority ruled that it has insulted and denigrated the police. More than 3,000 people complained about the show featuring the presenter jumping out of a rubbish bin while dressed in a police uniform. The Commerce and Economic Development Bureau, which oversees RTHK, says it has repeatedly breached provisions in a code of practice of TV programme standards and told the broadcaster to accept the ruling and offer an apology. An RTHK spokeswoman, Eamon Ng, says a large-scale review on programmes of this kind would be conducted this summer and the station would then decide if headliner could come back on air. RTHK accepts the rulings from CA and we will, um, uh, with a strict follow-up with this program. Uh, this program, after this season's broadcast, we will suspend because we have to do some uh, follow-up and also we have maybe we uh, have to do some survey about this program. And after the survey, we will know how to um, the, develop the progress of this kind of program. The chairwoman of the RTHK programme staff union, Gladys Chu, called the ruling by the communications authority biased. She also believes Headliner would make a comeback. After, uh, I would say, a very sincere conversation between the producers and our management, uh, it is agreed that after thorough uh, review, Headliner would return um, after this season. So we expect it to come back after the summer break. Pro-government lawmaker Junius Ho, a supporter of the police and critic of RTHK, welcomes the programme's suspension. And he rejected suggestions the controversy would affect press freedom or freedom of expression here in Hong Kong. It would be a good sign that at least the management of the RTHK has taken on board of some of the comments of the public and then to suspend the programme for the time being. I'm, I'm not so sure whether or not that this suspension is a permanent one, but I would not be that pessimistic, but rather a look at this matter from the, uh, with the, you know, at the bright side. To other news, religious gatherings will be exempt from a ban on get-togethers of more than eight people, which is being extended for another two weeks until June the 4th. The Home Affairs Secretary, Casper Choi, says religious leaders have agreed that places of worship will implement precautionary measures. For example, they can only run at half of their capacity and people cannot eat or drink there. If you um, look at the, the measures that we have implemented, for example, uh, only, only 50% uh, of people attending the gathering uh, as one, and uh, keeping distance between the people attending these activities is also another. Most of the religious leaders are very forthcoming in uh, also uh, suggesting and implementing uh, tighter measures uh, than uh, what we have suggested. So we are all in this fight together and uh, how we can uh, go back to a more normal uh, set of, uh, I guess, daily routine is uh, something we need to work and, and, and work together. 
The band's extension means this year's June 4th candlelight vigil marking the anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre won't be held. But Health Chief Sophia Chan denied that this was politically motivated. She also says more COVID-19 tests will be conducted, such as on care home workers, to try to detect any asymptomatic patients. The target is to test 3,000 people this month. Hong Kong did not report any new coronavirus infections today and the total number of cases here stands at 1,055. Hong Kong's unemployment rate has climbed to its highest in a decade as the coronavirus outbreak takes a toll on the economy. The jobless rate in the three months to April reached 5.2%, up from 4.2% in the previous three months. The food and beverage sector was the hit the hardest, followed by the construction and tourism-related sectors. The city's underemployment rate also worsened. It surged to a 15-year high of 3.1%. Andy Kwan, director of ACE Centre for Business and Economic Research, said he doesn't find the figures to be surprising. Because of the economic situation, uh, it's getting worse and worse. And it seems to be like even the external environment is not as stabilising. So in this case, uh, 1% jump in unemployment rate is not surprising to me. You're listening to RTHK. The time is now exactly five minutes past 11. A government-appointed panel has recommended a pay rise of between 1.15 and 1.98% for civil servants this year. That would be the smallest increase in about a decade, amid the economic slowdown. The Pay Trend Survey Committee says senior staff can expect a 1.68% hike, middle-ranking employees can take home 1.98% more, while lower-ranking workers get a raise of 1.15%. The figures still need to be endorsed by the committee. Lee Fong Chung of the Senior Government Officers Association says he isn't surprised with the finding. I think it's within our expectation because it's uh, covered a 12-month statistic. So it's quite uh, reasonable that uh, the figure is a little bit uh, below the inflation rate. The chief executive has denied claims of political interference by the government in a row over a question in the DSE history exam. Carrie Lam insisted the examinations and assessment authority made what she called a professional mistake, which was regrettable and disappointing. The exam's body hasn't yet decided whether to invalidate the question, which asked if Japan did more good than harm to China between 1900 and 1945. Speaking before the weekly executive council meeting, Mrs Lam said the collapse of education is the collapse of a nation a quote widely attributed to former South African President Nelson Mandela. She was asked if it was appropriate to quote a freedom fighter amid allegations that the government was trying to rein in the education sector. I thought I am at liberty to quote distinguished people in impressing upon people of Hong Kong how much uh, importance we attach to education. Because if education is done wrongly, its damages and severe consequences are really beyond imagination. The chief executive has also rejected suggestions that the government was trying to fast-track national anthem legislation so it could be passed before the end of the current LegCo term. Carrie Lam said the bill had been unable to resume its second reading because LegCo's House Committee was unable to elect a chairman, following months of filibustering by the pan-democratic camp. And with the re-election of Starry Lee as committee chairwoman yesterday, Mrs Lam said the bill could now go through its second reading. 
this is the first priority bill in terms of the chronology of events. So there isn't even a subjective assessment. It is just in accordance with the chronology of events because it has completed its scrutiny a year ago. Whereas other bills ready for resumption of second reading were only completed much later. So I don't understand why for doing such a proper thing that uh, the administration needs to apologise. And the chief executive says members of the police watchdog know Hong Kong's situation better than overseas experts, as she dismissed criticism of a report by the Independent Police Complaints Council on the force's handling of anti-government protests. That story from Francis Sitt. The IPCC's recent report on the police handling of anti-government protests has faced criticism after it mostly cleared the force of wrongdoing and noted there was room for improvement in their response. One of the critics was British policing expert Clifford Stott, who was on the watchdog's foreign expert panel studying the unrest until all members quit, saying the IPCC needed to be given more powers if its probe is to be meaningful. Mr Stott went as far as quoting the author George Orwell and criticised the report as the Delivering the new truth. Asked about the remarks before the weekly executive council meeting, the chief executive said the expert has the right to express his views. But Carol Lam said he can't possibly understand the situation as well as IPCC members, who spent a year reviewing an abundance of information. She said Mr. Stott only spent 10 days or a week in Hong Kong, so people should be able to tell which side was able to obtain the truth and has a better understanding of the city. The CE also noted that the watchdog has 26 members from different backgrounds and areas of expertise, so there's no question about their objectivity. She hopes the public can make a fair judgment of the report, which she describes as objective and comprehensive. Tributes are pouring in for Alan Lee, a political heavyweight and commentator who's died at the age of 80. The former LegCo and EXCO member was the founding chairman of the Liberal Party. And while he was part of the pro-establishment group, he was also outspoken with his Liberal views. In an interview in 2014, Mr Lee said Beijing's intention of creating a puppet system in Hong Kong would never work. They want to kick out all the Democrats. How the heck it will work? You already identify some people that they are... They are not patriotic. It's not true. I think everybody, almost everybody in Hong Kong are patriotic anyway. Right. Otherwise, they will move out already through, yeah. uh, in 97. Okay? So I think all these are excuses. Yeah. What they want, let me put it, what they want is the people who will listen to them and mm-hmm. becoming a puppet. A puppet system doesn't work. Okay? It just doesn't work. China has accused the United States of trying to shift the blame for its own incompetent response to the COVID-19 pandemic after President Donald Trump criticised the World Health Organization and called it a puppet of Beijing. Yesterday, Mr Trump threatened to withdraw from the WHO unless it changed its operations within 30 days. In Beijing, a foreign ministry spokesman, Zhao Lijian, said the US was trying to smear China so as to avoid its own responsibilities. In China's prevention and control work of COVID-19, we have repeatedly shown the timeline of China's response. The World Health Organization has also made clarifications on some obvious factual mistakes in the U.S. allegations. The U.S. open letter is full of vague expressions, like probably. It tries to mislead the public and to smear China and shift the blame for its own incompetent response. 
Member states of the World Health Organization have backed an independent evaluation into the handling of the coronavirus pandemic. It comes just hours after President Trump, who claims the WHO has mishandled the pandemic, threatened to cut the WHO's funding permanently unless the organization improved. The BBC's Imogen Folks reports from Geneva. When China on Monday publicly backed an independent evaluation, it was clear the resolution would be passed. Not just the WHO, but all affected countries will have to look hard at their approach, at their food safety, their disease outbreak monitoring, at the resilience of their health systems and, crucially, at their information sharing. There may be divisions over the WHO's tactics, but one thing all 194 member states do agree on, what has happened in this pandemic, the hundreds of thousands of dead, the devastated economies, must not happen again. Australia has expressed deep disappointment at China's decision to impose crippling 80% tariffs on imported Australian barley. Australia's Agriculture Minister is David Littleproud. China's uh, decision uh, to impose a tariff uh, on our barley producers, uh, this is something that we will strongly reject. Uh, the premise that the Australian barley farmer is subsidised in any way, shape or form. Uh, we will continue to prosecute that case. Uh, we will now work through the determination by Chinese officials, calmly and methodically, and reserve our right to go to the World Trade Organisation to get the independent umpire to make that determination. Canberra insists it doesn't want a trade war with Beijing. Sports and in German football, Bayer Leverkusen cruised to a 4-1 win over Werder Bremen. The Bundesliga has now completed its first full round of fixtures after competition resumed. More from Adam Jern. German football has so far avoided major pitfalls in three days of games following a two-month suspension for the coronavirus pandemic. Players did their part to follow the safety guidelines, although some of Leverkusen's players had clustered together after their team scored the first goal in Werder's empty stadium. The league had recommended that celebrations be of minimal physical contact. But both teams kept up their form from before the break. Kai Havertz scored twice to help Leverkusen win 4-1. They're now unbeaten in six league games and are closing in on the Champions League places, while Werder remains stuck in the relegation zone. Cricket is to ban the use of saliva to polish the ball. It's part of the changes to regulations recommended by the International Cricket Council during the COVID-19 pandemic. The BBC's Shoujo Saka reports. Players are likely to be banned from using saliva to shine the ball by the International Cricket Council when the sport resumes, but the application of sweat will still be allowed. The governing body's cricket committee heard medical advice that suggests it is highly unlikely coronavirus can be transmitted through sweat, but there is an elevated risk through saliva. The recommendations, which also suggest the use of home umpires, will be presented for approval in early June. A reminder of our top stories tonight, RTHK suspends the satire programme headliner after it's found to have denigrated the police. A ban on gatherings of more than eight people is extended for another two weeks and Hong Kong's jobless rate reaches its highest in a decade. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. 
The government has announced that a ban on gatherings of more than eight people will be extended for another two weeks until June the 4th. Religious gatherings will be exempt from the ban, but the annual June the 4th candlelight vigil at Victoria Park will not get the go-ahead. Malik Peris, a virology professor from the University of Hong Kong, told Anna Marie Evans that authorities were acting prudently given a recent family cluster of confirmed coronavirus cases in the city. I think the concern is this recent family cluster of cases where there is no unknown source for them to get infected. So that implies they have been infected from the community through some unsuspected chain of transmission. And I think this is the concern. So I think uh, it is prudent to be cautious at this point in time and wait and see how things develop and also, of course, enhance testing also at the community level to, to make sure that there are no undetected chains of transmission. Now, religious gatherings will be exempted. Do you think it's appropriate given that there was a cluster of infections at a temple before? Well, I mean, I believe uh, this is similar to the, the situation regarding weddings. But I think uh, yeah, I think uh, people really should be cautious about any large gatherings of people, um, whether it be religious or otherwise. Um, one can, of course, understand the reasons for some relaxation, but I, I would really urge caution because we do know, particularly when people are talking loud or singing or something like that, the amount of airborne particles that are generated are much, much greater than even soft talking. So one really has to be careful and cautious. Now, how urgent do you think is the situation of testing? Should uh, more tests be done? We, we do need to enhance the, the testing at the level of the community as well. Now, clearly, the capacity is enough for the hospitalised cases and for contact tracing, but we need to enhance the overall testing capacity for two reasons. First and foremost, we need to be able to look at the community level for, for transmission of unlinked infections that may be taking place. And secondly, we have to be realistic that it is almost inevitable that there will be future introductions, particularly as international travel is uh, released at some point uh, in the future. So we, we need to be better prepared to face you know, the challenges that will emerge at that point in time. The city's jobless rate has climbed to 5.2%, its highest level in a decade, as the coronavirus pandemic continues to ravage the city's economy. The food and beverage sector was hardest hit, with the unemployment rate reaching 12%. The construction sector, consumption and tourism-related sectors were also badly affected. Dr Andy Kwan, director of ACE's Centre for Business and Economic Research, told Jim Gould the latest figures were within expectations. Because of the economic situation, uh, it's getting worse and worse. And uh, seems to be like even the external environment is not as stabilizing. So in this case, uh, 1% jump in unemployment rate is not surprising to me. And how much worse do you expect it to be in the next set of figures? Well, uh, maybe another half a percent increase maybe um yeah to 5.7 5.8 percent because may could be slightly better because i think i can sense the economic sentiment is getting better and people are more or less uh less concerned with uh, about the pandemic 
I think due to the uh, confirmed cases, there now we have no, almost no confirmed cases. Now. So in this case, that will help the sentiment. But the key is, I think the government needs to unlock the economy and try to jumpstart economy and make sure like uh, local consumption can pick up. But still, we are going to get hit by the external factor, like the, the recovery in the export sector will be quite uh, slow, and also the construction industry will, will get hit because like uh, there are certain uh, procedures they got to follow and before they, they start the construction again, and uh, all kinds of things they have to hurdle. So in this case, I think the unemployment rate is going to go, is going to go up, and maybe after this, in the second half of the year, then the labor market will stabilize. So with the social distancing measures having been uh, eased somewhat recently, and uh, as you mentioned, very few new virus cases. So do you think there is hope for improvement for sectors like uh, food and beverage, which has been worst affected? Uh, yes, I see there's a slight improvement now. Because uh, when you go for lunch and uh, even for uh, like uh, a restaurant, and uh, there, there sometimes I see a lot of queue outside the, the restaurant. And I think the, the main thing is Hong Kong people, they they are not very concerned regarding the pandemic now. In a case that like uh, they think the government is able to control the pandemic. And once the, this situation is uh, getting better, then con consumer confidence will come back. But it's not to the extent that like, we are going to have a full recovery that led uh, to the uh, uh, rapid recovery in the economy. But somehow I can see uh, consumer confidence rebound and uh, there'll be a, quite a clear uh, improvement in the uh, retail sector and uh, like uh, accommodation for services that comes that comes uh, sectors and, uh, but it's not going to have uh, like a hundred percent improvement but much better than the worst the founding chairman of the liberal party alan lee has died at the age of 80 as priscilla Ng reports both his closest allies and political rivals have paid tribute to him I love Hong Kong. I love all, uh, uh, the, the core values of Hong Kong. Uh, we, we are a very free place. Uh, anybody could uh, criticize or praise the government. I think Hong Kong has a very is a very special place for China. That was Alan Lee saying why he loved Hong Kong in a 2014 interview. Now, an obituary issued by his wife and family said the veteran politician had dedicated his entire life to Hong Kong. It said the 80-year-old passed away peacefully last Friday, and his last wish was for his funeral to be held privately. The statement added that a memorial will be held separately for those who wish to pay their respects. In a statement, Chief Executive Carrie Lam sent her condolences to Mr. Lee's family, adding that he was an extremely influential figure who had served society for many years. Mr. Lee was a member of the Legislative Council from 1978 to 1997 and an EXCO member from 1986 to 1992. He was also involved in the Sino-British negotiations about Hong Kong's future. Mr. Lee founded the Liberal Party in 1993 and became its chairman. The party's current leader, Felix Chung, said he's deeply saddened by Mr. Lee's passing. Mr. Alan Lee has been a very important person in Hong Kong politics since the 80s. And he is the first one from the business sector to go to have direct elections from the district elections. So he has been contributing a lot to the Hong Kong society, the Hong Kong politics, and we will miss him very much. Ronald R. Cully, who worked alongside Mr. Lee as vice chairman of the Liberal Party, also showered him with praises. 
he is you know, totally unselfish. Everything for Hong Kong, Hong Kong people, very much um, a consensus builder, uh, which, uh, you know, when you look at the late 80s and early 90s and, you know, going post-97, uh, it's not exactly an easy thing to do. While he was part of the pro-establishment camp, Mr. Lee was also outspoken with his liberal views. He became a deputy to the National People's Congress in 1997, but quit seven years later, saying he had faced pressure not to speak openly. He also left the Liberal Party in 2003 after it changed its manifesto regarding universal suffrage and had no set date for when it wanted this to be implemented. Even his political rivals paid tribute to him. Here's Emily Lau from the Democratic Party. It was very open-minded. And he was uh, able to convince uh, members from his camp to accept these views so we could work together. And it is very sad that in the last few years, uh, you don't see such a figure uh, from the pro-communist camp. And now you look at them in Lechko, it seems they are all just dead enemies and want to uh, uh, obliterate each other. And and that's Hong Kong's uh, tragedy. Following his retirement from politics, Mr. Lee became a commentator and hosted various talk shows, including RTHK's Lechko Review until two years ago. During an interview in 2014, he said Beijing's intention of turning Hong Kong into a puppet system would never work. They want to kick out all the Democrats. How the heck it will work? You already identify some people that they are, they are not patriotic. It's not true. I think everybody, almost everybody in Hong Kong are patriotic anyway. Right. Otherwise, they will move out already through yeah. uh, in 97, okay? So I think all these are excuses. Yeah. What they want, let me put it, what they want is that people will listen to them and mm-hmm. becoming a puppet. A puppet system doesn't work, okay? It just doesn't work. He added that his biggest wish was to see major democratic developments on the mainland with young people leading the change. We, we may be in our 70s, 80s, I think, we're, we're the bygone someday, but we care about what's going on in China because that has a direct relationship in Hong Kong. So we're in the midst of change, and I, I only hopeful that I could see it before I'm gone. <laughs> that was Alan Lee speaking in a 2014 interview, ending this piece by Priscilla Ng. Police in Myanmar have seized Southeast Asia's biggest ever haul of synthetic drugs. About 200 million methamphetamine tablets, 500 kilos of crystal methamphetamine and 300 kilos of heroin were found in raids in northeast Shan state. RTHK Southeast Asia correspondent Larry Jagan spoke to Anna-Marie Evans. As the uh, officials are describing it, it's off the charts. And what's really critical is that this is synthetic drugs. This this is something that we've been seeing on the increase in Southeast Asia generally, but but now obviously in Myanmar, um, we, we'd always associated the area which these were seized as, as one where the opium trade was rife. Now it's very much uh, synthetic drugs. It, it really is a major haul. Of course, a lot of the precursor drugs that were seized alongside the synthetically produced drugs are 
I used uh, to, to make them are not actually indigenous to Myanmar. They're imported from China, from India, and from Thailand. So it, it, it is a major haul, and it obviously is, is going to affect uh, the regional networks. Now, these syndicates, uh, are they, they work with local militias? Indeed. I mean, um, this whole area, uh, Katkai, where the seizures took place, is right in the middle of, of one of the hotspots in uh, uh, northern Shan State. Uh, there's been f continuous fighting in that region uh, for, 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 the, for the last five years. Um, and there, there are at least eight militia groups, um, Shan and, and Kachin, uh, in this area. Uh, some of which are aligned with the military government uh, of the past, with the, with the military. They, they, they rely on them for, for uh, training and for, for arms. Um, it, is, it is a very volatile area. And uh, how clean is the Myanmarese army in terms of, of what goes on with drugs in Myanmar? Well, it's always very difficult to uh, assess to what extent the uh, Myanmar military are involved in uh, this, uh, this trafficking. Um, the, the, one, one suspects that at least at minimum they're turning a blind eye to those militia groups that are aligned with them uh, and allowing them uh, a free pass, as it were. Uh, but I think, I think the, 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 the pressure has been on the military uh, of recent um, to, to, to reduce uh, drug trafficking within within uh, Sham State, in, because they are, they also understand that this this is what gives rise to uh, money that that can be spent on arms, very sophisticated arms, uh, from from uh, particularly from China. Um, what's interesting uh, also is it, it fuels uh, it, it, it's it's like a, a vicious circle. It fuels the violence. Uh, and what's interesting is what, what, what the military are not saying at the moment is, is that they suspect actually that a lot of those that they have arrested, the 33 people, uh, including one Chinese who they believe is the chemist, uh, are actually associated with the Arakan army, the uh, uh, ethnic army that, that's, that's fighting in uh, Rakhine state and, and causing the, the greatest problems for the, for the current uh, military. Uh, we understand that as this violence has increased in Rakhine since, uh, the, since January last year, that actually drug trafficking across from Myanmar into Bangladesh has increased. Um, and, and, and so the military understand that cracking down on drug operations might also be in their interests in terms of reducing the strength or at least access to uh, military equipment. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Todd Harding from our newsroom. We all have to account for our actions, especially if you break the law. Different crimes carry different maximum penalties. Taking part in a riot, 10 years. Taking part in an unlawful assembly, 5 years. Possession of offensive weapon, 3 years. Assaulting a police officer, two years criminal damage 10 years so before you act think think of the consequences for you for your family for your future live across hong kong this 
is Radio 3. January to December We'll have moments to remember Remember Moments to remember. The time is now. From now until 1 a.m. I'm your host, Ray Cudero. I picked only the best memorable songs for you. Student Prince Serenade, played by Mentovani and his orchestra. Here's our good friend Jim Reeves. I love you because you understand every single thing I try to do. 
Say.